Jesus House in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, impacting lives. This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London. God bless you. I hope you you were part uh, of the conversation we had on Wednesday around vaccines. Um, it was enlightening even for me and I was a part of it in terms of, uh, not that I had any of the um, technical uh, information or knowledge, but then I asked the questions. Um, and if you haven't seen it, it, it really was quite something. It's gone around. Um, the churches together in England, the churches that are in England are sharing it. Um, the Evangelical Alliance, the three million members are sharing it. Um, and you know, it's going into the Church of England. The Archbishop has asked me for it. Um, so, it so has the Catholic Cardinal, the Archbishop of Westminster, Cardinal Nichols, has asked me for it as well. Um, so it'd be, it, it'd be, wouldn't it be a tragedy if it's going all around the place? And um, those of you who are in this church uh, haven't taken advantage of it. So please want to ask you to do so. Um, you can, it's on YouTube, it's, it's, it, you can, you, it's on a podcast as well. So yeah, you can, you can watch it and listen to it um, at your leisure, but please do that. I'm sure um, all the uh, requisite information will be on the screens for you to note them and take advantage of what is a resource. Hallelujah. Father, we just want to thank you for today, um, Thanksgiving Sunday. Thank you for uh, revelation from your word that strengthens us in our walk. Um, thank you for this journey uh, into your promises. We give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. We say thank you, Father. Um, today, I was supposed to go on to talk about what hinders our prayer because don't forget we talk, talked about the, about God answering prayers. So we're supposed to look at w w the things that can hinder that life of answered prayer. We will do that next week. Um, today is Thanksgiving Sunday. Uh, we focus on Thanksgiving. And I wanted to talk for a few minutes about that. I wanted to talk about developing a lifestyle of gratitude, developing a lifestyle of gratitude. I wanted to share some very simple and practical things uh, that you can put in place that can have a significant impact because a lifestyle of gratitude is a lifestyle that is blessed by God, uh, that receives the fullness of of what God has for a, for a person. And we must have a lifestyle of gratitude. It's a lifestyle I'm talking about. Um, it's a bit different from just a service, a Thanksgiving service. We do that once every month. It's a bit different from a song or two songs. Um, it's certainly very different from one prayer. Uh, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that those things can sometimes be isolated incidents in our lives. But what we want is a lifestyle. It's habitual. Um, that's who we are. That's how we live. A lifestyle of gratitude. So I want to share with you five things that can help us cultivate a lifestyle of gratitude. Number one is an awareness of God's presence and a gratitude for God's presence. Just knowing that God is with you, knowing 
that as he says, he will never leave you nor forsake you, knowing that he is with you wherever you go. And constantly reminding yourself about this so that it sets the sails of your heart in, in, in the direction of being grateful for this truth that God is with you. A lot of times the circumstances are trying to counter this truth. Uh, and if we focus on the circumstances or believe the circumstances, then that truth can fade into the background in our hearts. And so we owe it to ourselves as we develop and culti cultivate a lifestyle of gratitude to be constantly aware, irrespective of where we are and what we're doing, that God is with us. You know, he is with you, uh, assuming you were going to work, he's with you. Assuming you were going to a meal, he is with you. Assuming you were going to the gym, assuming there wasn't a lockdown and you could go to the gym, he is with you. You see, it's that consciousness of God, that awareness of God, that knowing that God is with you and that gratitude that this God, the awesome God, the creator of the ends of the earth, could choose to be with you, in fact, to make his home in your life, in your heart, your body, the temple of the Spirit of God. It is that awareness that we have to constantly remind ourselves about. Sometimes you can be in a place that is so ordinary. You are on the tube. You are rushing to go to the bus stop, standing at the bus stop. You're driving and you've been driving for a long distance. Sometimes it can seem so detached from God. Um, other places can induce that awareness quicker. Of course, if you're in church, you know God is there. Of course, if the worship has reached a certain level, you know God is there. There are certain things that do that. And we have a way of, of separating what we call the sacred from the secular. But as a New Testament believer, there is no secular. You are, the sacred is, is who you are, where you dwell. And wherever you go becomes the sacred. So your office is not a secular vocation for you as a New Testament believer. Because when you go there, you carry the presence of God there. Wherever you go, the presence of God goes with you. Now it's a constant awareness of that that makes the difference and constantly reminding ourselves until we get used to the, the truth that God is with us. And then that induces a heart of gratitude as we learn to thank God because he is with us wherever we go. The psalmist says in Psalms 139, verses 7 and 8, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. God is with us. Let's be aware of it and let's be grateful for it. Number two, practical things that can help you live a lifestyle of gratitude. Number two, helping others. Two things happen when we help others. Number one, the focus on others who are in need often puts into perspective our own circumstances. You see, when you help someone who has less than you, or you help someone who is going through a more challenging situation, 
it has a way of putting your situation, your circumstances in perspective against the backdrop of the person that you are helping. That's why some of what is encouraged to deal with the, the, the challenges of depression and some of those mental health challenges is encouraging people to go and help others, serve others, volunteer in certain places where you can help others. When you go out and help the homeless, when you are in some way serving the homeless, it doesn't matter how small your accommodation is where you live. When you get back, you are grateful for that place that you have, the roof over your head, the warmth that, that, that you live in, because you have been out there helping those who don't have what you might have taken for granted if you had not gone out to help them. So number one, let's, let's help others. In helping others, it engenders a heart of gratitude in, in us. Number two, when we help others, we're a conduit through which the love of God flows. This is on the second thing that happens when we help others. We're a conduit through which the love of God flows, through which the Holy Spirit works. And as He's working through us, invariably He affects our own heart. We start to see things from God's perspective because He is walking through us. It's the, it's the Holy Spirit that sheds the love of God abroad in our hearts. And when He uses us as a conduit, a pipeline for that love of God, invariably we are affected by that. You see, it's the same way that you pass water through a pipe or any liquid through a pipe or oil through a pipe. Now, the aim is to get the liquid from the source to where you want it to go. And so the pipe is the conduit. But then you and I know that it is impossible to pass that fluid through the pipe without the pipe getting wet as a result. And it's the same when we present ourselves to be used by God to help others. We become a conduit for the love of God. We are also touched by the love of God. It also changes our hearts and makes us become more grateful people because we are being used by God. That's why Jesus says and, and, and is quoted by the apostles in Acts, the 20th chapter and the 35th verse. The apostle says, I've left you an example of how you should serve and take care of those who are weak. For we must always cherish the words of our Lord Jesus, who taught giving brings a far better, a far greater blessing than receiving. The, the, the older translations will say it is more blessed to give than to receive. Giving brings a far greater blessing than receiving. So we, we know that as we help others, we, we ourselves become more grateful to God. So a person who wants to have a lifestyle of gratitude is someone who takes advantage of every opportunity to be a blessing to others, a blessing to those who are less privileged, a blessing to those who don't have as much, a blessing to those who don't have the advantages that you have, a blessing to those who don't have 
the, 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 the nature that you have that allows you to overcome things. So you become an exhorter, an encourager, and you bless them with your words. As you bless people uh, with words, uh, in deeds, uh, with our substance, then we find that we become more grateful people. Number three, create memorials for thanksgiving. Opportunities to, to remember and recount God's faithfulness and say thank you. Now, I was having a conversation with my wife and we we're talking about how it's, it's very easy to forget what God has done as we aspire to other things or as we sometimes in, in certain circumstances feel like we haven't done as well as we should where we are. Well, one thing we learned from the children of Israel is that they were great at telling stories of the past. They would constantly encourage themselves by telling their children who were not there and not born in certain circumstances the awesome things that God had, had done. Let's learn from them to create memorials, create op 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 opportunities for us to remember God's goodness, remember God's faithfulness. You know, let's have family get together, sometimes at the dinner table. Let everyone share something about what God has done. Let's, let's, let's tell our children the stories that they don't know. They were not there. They were not born, maybe. Um, or they were too young to understand of how God has brought us through. You see, what you're doing is you're sowing seeds into their hearts and you're getting them to already start to cultivate the habit of attributing whatever has been done to God, because you must understand that the contention of the world, uh, a world that drives a new age philosophy, is to direct them away from God. So we must use every opportunity to get them to know that it is God that did this. As friends, when we get together, let's not just tell uh, uh, gaudy stories or, or stories that, about all the silly things that we did. That, that, I mean, you might, as, you might want to do that. But then let's remember the things that God has done. Let's encourage each other with the things that God has done. Sometimes, you know, plan a Thanksgiving party. Now that we have, we're we are stuck in our homes with this, with this lockdown, why don't you gather a few friends together on, 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 on um, uh, a Zoom thing and then the, the, the focus for the day is, you know, we just, want to, we just want to tell stories about what God has done. You know, in the old days, we used to call them testimony gatherings or testimony nights or testimony evenings where we just told of the goodness of God that encouraged us to thank God. You know, plan these things, memorials, a, a trip to a particular place that has a significance uh, for you as to what God has done that engenders gratitude in your heart as to what God has done. And you know, along these lines, you know, have keepsakes that remind you of God's goodness, God's faithfulness, and God's mercies. You know, um, I proposed to Shalat a beautiful restaurant in Paris, lovely first-class restaurant um, um, that you could see uh, the Eiffel Tower and, and, and you, you, you know, beautiful restaurant uh, that I proposed to her at. And the restaurant gave us their menu and, you know, we scribbled on it. Now, every time I see that menu, it's a keepsake, you know, it's 12 years old now. 
every time I see that menu, my heart is filled with gratitude. I'm so grateful to God that he, he, he caused her a path to cross. I'm so grateful to God that he made her my wife. And if I want to be grateful to God for her, for our marriage, that menu just serves to remind me of God's mercies, God's faithfulness, uh, God's goodness, which I see in him bringing her into my life as my wife and as the mother of our children. Well, have some of those keepsakes because sometimes in the frenetic, frantic nature of life, we're moving from place to place, aspiring and dreaming and hoping and trying to forge ahead. We can sometimes forget and these keepsakes remind us. So we, we use them to create memorials. Now, one memorial that, that, that Jesus himself has left us with, and that's why I like this particular, particular memorial as part of our worship of God is the communion. He actually says, um, the Bible says in, in 1 Corinthians 11, the 11th chapter, verse 25, as it references what Jesus did. The Apostle Paul says, he did the same with the cup of wine after supper and said, this cup seals the new covenant with my blood. Drink it and whenever you drink this, do it to remember me. That's what it's about. It's a memorial. So when we come to the communion table, let's not forget that part of the reason for that meal is a memorial. It's to engender thanksgiving in our hearts. When we remember him, what do we remember? We remember his sacrificial act of love. We remember what he went through on our behalf. We remember the suffering that he went through simply for the joy that was set before him. And what was the joy that was set before him? It wasn't for him, it was for you and I. And so when we come to that memorial of the communion, our hearts should be filled with gratitude. We remember that our freedom was bought at a heavy price, his life. And so that memorial, that particular memorial, engenders thanksgiving in our hearts. And so we should create them. You know, families should have occasions that are Thanksgiving occasions. That's how, incidentally, I think it's the 4th of November arose in America. The first people uh, who got into America teamed up with some of the, the native Indians to say thank you to God for their journey that they had come. And, and the whole of America has now taken that day. It's, it's literally most, the most significant holiday in America. I mean, some of the essence might have been lost, but the truth of it was that it is an opportunity for the nation to say thanksgiving. Now, create these opportunities in your own family, occasions when you come together that are set aside to share stories and encourage each other and to say thank you. Number four, Fourth thing, the way you treat the Word of God. You can't read the Word of God regularly, study it regularly, meditate on the Word regularly without having a heart of gratitude. In fact, as you go through the Word, you are overwhelmed by God's grace and God's mercies and God's faithfulness. You are overwhelmed by how much God loves us. And when you are overwhelmed in that way, it engenders a heart of gratitude. So the one who reads the Bible, studies the Bible, meditates on it daily, 
can't help themselves, they are going to be grateful people as a lifestyle because the Bible is constantly reminding them of the kind of father they have, of the sacrifice of his son, of the amount of grace that has been poured out, of his forgiveness. And as you see those things and see how you have received them, you tend to develop a heart of gratitude. It's why Paul would say in Romans the 12th chapter and the second verse, stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you. Now, what are the ideals and opinions of the culture that he wants us to stop imitating? Well, if you have the time and you can look into the Bible at Second. Uh, Timothy, the third chapter, verses one to four, you find out what Paul was talking about. Paul was saying, this, this is the world. These are the, this is the culture. These are the opinions of the world. What the, does the scripture say in that, in that scripture? It says, in those days, which are these days, society will become extremely fierce. People will be self-centered, lovers of themselves, obsessed with money. They will boast of great things as they strut around in arrogant pride and mock all that is right. They will ignore their own families. They will be ungrateful and ungodly. They will become addicted to hateful and malicious slander, social media and all the fake news on it is, is coming to pass. They will be slaves to their desires. They will be ferocious, belligerent, haters of what is good and right. With brutal treachery, they will act without restraint, bigoted and, and the whole issue around racial injustice and wrapped in clouds of their own conceit. They will find their delight in the pleasures of this world more than the pleasures of the loving God. So what does Paul say? Protect yourself against this culture because this culture will be rife in, in the, at the end at the end of the ages, in, this day, in, in those days. And those days are these days. So how do I protect myself from that? How do I make sure that I don't become ungrateful because the norm is to be ungrateful, unthankful. It's the norm. How do I protect myself from that and make sure I have a lifestyle that is full of gratitude? He goes on to say in Romans 12 verse 2, by being inwardly transformed, by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. How do I make sure that the culture of the world doesn't shape me and mold me and, and shape my thinking? By ensuring that I am in the word of God, by the Spirit of God. And as I study the Word by the Spirit, it causes a transformation, a reformation in my mind, my thinking to take place. I acquire the thinking of the kingdom of God. It protects me from the thinking of the kingdom of this world. And the thinking of the kingdom of God has at its core gratitude, thankfulness, thanksgiving. And that becomes who I am in my heart because of the, my, my application to the Word of God, my submission to the Spirit of God. Number five, the last thing. We must learn to look for God in our day-to-day -day lives and as we see Him, be thankful to Him. You see, it's something we have to train ourselves to do. If we don't train ourselves 
Unfortunately, because of the culture I mentioned, the work of the enemy, uh, the way our, our lives have been trained habitually by, by a sinful life separate from God, we have to, in a sense, retrain ourselves by the kingdom way. And we can do this by, by training ourselves to notice God in the day-to-day, -day, sometimes simple, sometimes things that we take for granted, the things that happen in our lives. You know, when you get out of bed each morning, it's quite possible to just get out of bed and jump into the things you have to do for the day. On the other hand, it's possible to have trained yourself to get out of bed and to be grateful to God that you, have, that you were able to get out of bed. It is a miracle because there are many people who sleep and don't wake up to face the day. So these are ways that we can thank ourselves. One of my favorite scriptures, and my, my wife shall always say, once we hear the scripture, I say, she said, you like that scripture. One of my favorite scriptures is Psalms 3 verse 5. And I believe this is what the psalmist was, was about. Uh, being grateful to God, just for the simple, in inverted commas, the simple thing that we go through every day when just waking up. He says, I lay down and slept. I awoke for the Lord sustained me. What was he saying? I wouldn't even be awake. I wouldn't have slept so well if it wasn't for the grace of God that su sustained me. You know, let's, let's just learn to be thankful in the day-to-day -day lives. You know, you can train your mind. You know, you receive a bill, yeah? Uh, and your, your, your instant thing is, oh God, another bill. Another BT bill, another school fees uh, bill for the school of the children. You know, bills don't bring anything good to us, we think. But how about if you trained your mind so that when you received the bill, it was a reminder of what the bill provides. So when it's time to pay your mortgage, it's a reminder that you have a house, a roof over your head. When it's time to pay the children's fees and that bill comes, it's a reminder that your children are going to a good school and look at how they are turning out and grateful to God for them, for the opportunity to be able to pay these fees so that they can go to that school. So you use those things to remind you, not of the bill itself, but of what the bill provides and the privilege of having what the bill pro provides for you. You train your mind to think in that way so that your mind starts to get used to saying thank you to God. You know, just little things, you know. It snowed recently and, you know, just grateful to God for the snow. Uh, I, I, we went out into the garden, grateful to God that we can Rolls, we can make snowballs and throw them at each other. You know, our son Sochi, you know, fell on the floor and became some sort of windshield wiper on the floor. Just grateful to God for the snow. You know, you can look at those snowflakes and marvel at God's creativity. You know, as I was looking at the snow, I thought, this is fascinating. In my ancestral village, Amokwe Item, in Bende, local government area, of Abia State in Nigeria. No one in my ancestral hometown has seen snow. I thought to myself, I wonder how I would describe this to them. It made me think God is amazing that in the same world, people can exist and experience certain things in the same way that some people here have not seen some of the things that, that I experience and I enjoy when I'm in my ancestral hometown. You know, 
to have a, 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 a yam cooked in the sand with a fire around it is an amazing experience to see a masquerade in my village, my ancestral hometown, in its full regalia, mimicking the spirits that have gone, as they say in, the, in, the, in, in, in my hometown, to the ancestors. How am I going to describe that to somebody who is in the Western world? I have to take you to Amokwetem and show you a masquerade. And this is just, this is God's fullness of his expression, that there are things that are happening in parts of the world that other people don't know about and other people haven't seen. And I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, God, you are amazing. You truly hold the whole world in the palm of your hand. You really created all these things. Some of them have been perverted and abused. Uh, I'm not subscribing to the, the philosophy of the masquerade. I'm just talking about the, 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 the beauty of the gayness of it. The, and sometimes for a child, as a child, how terrifying it was to see all those grotesque dance steps and all that they did to frighten us as we were growing up. But this is just, I'm just trying to say that it's, it, you look at all these things and you marvel, you marvel at God. I mean, I mean look at the rain. You can, it can rain and you can decide to yourself, you know what, this is a nightmare. It's muddy, it's messing up the, the, the road, it's splashing water on everybody. Or you can look up and just marvel at a God who created rain and the rain can speak to you about God God's awesomeness and engender gratitude in your heart towards God. You know, we have, there's a, um, a, a lovely uh, elderly lady that um, is a mother to one of us here in church, who Shola and I love, Grandma Joyce. And you know, she, if anybody that I know, has drawn Shola and I uh, to this place where we are trying to appreciate God's goodness in nature. You know, she'll go on walks and she'll take pictures of flowers, which you and I would have walked by. But she just notices the beautiful things that God has done. And she'll send this picture of this flower and talk about the beauty of the flower in a way that makes you say to yourself, how come I didn't see that? I think it might be that we are so busy and so focused on ourselves and so focused on where we are going that we fail to see God in all the things around us. May God open our eyes so that we can start to appreciate him in all the things that are around us us. The psalmist puts it like this in Psalms 8 verse 3. Look at the splendor of your skies, your creative, your creative genius, genius glowing in the heavens. When I gaze at your moon and your stars mounted like jewels in their settings, I know you are the fascinating artist who fashioned it all. But when I look up and see such wonder and workmanship above, I have to ask you this question. And of course, you know the question he, he asked. What is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you visit him? We don't, we don't understand it. Why are you concerned about us? Why do you love us? Because I look around at all these things and all these things are telling me how awesome you are. When we look at those things, that's what those things tell us. They tell us how awesome he is. It makes us grateful that this awesome God has time for us, pays attention to us, wants to visit us, sent his son to die on the cross for us. Hallelujah. Let's, in a practical sense, apply some of these things and start to develop a lifestyle of gratitude. I ended with um, looking at these things that show 
the love of Christ in a practical way. And none does it more than that singular sacrificial act that God sent his son to die on the cross for you. That settles it, QED. It, it, it is over. And so if there's someone out there who hasn't received this gift that Jesus is of salvation into your life, you're not thankful for it. Because if you're thankful for it, you will show by your action. And the action is that you receive the gift into your life. Well, if you're that person, I would love the opportunity to pray for you today as we encourage ourselves to be thankful. I would love that opportunity. So if you're that person, why don't you say this prayer with me and then just receive this gift of salvation. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son Jesus. I really thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. Today, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I promise, Lord, to live a life that is pleasing to you. Help me to do so, Heavenly Father, turning away from anything that, displease, that displeases you. By this prayer, I know now that you have received me into your family. I'm now a child of yours, born again into your family. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, congratulations. Your simple prayer, that's the way God does it. The hard work has been done by Jesus. You are now a child of God, a member of God's family. Your work starts now as you get to know your Father and get to know your Savior, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, who is now in you, will help you.